Welcome to Friends in Prison. I'm Claire Aronson, and I have 29 friends in prison. Welcome to the show. If you're new, I've got 20 seconds to catch you up. I've been writing to pen pals in prison for two and a half years. I like to get a letter a day, and on average, I respond to a letter a day. So I kept writing to new pen pals until I had 29, and that yields me what I'm looking for, 29, 30, 32 letters in a month. Um, One of my pen pals has been released from prison. Shout out to Amanda. She continues to write to me. And Daniel and Misty are preparing for parole hearings, so I'm hoping to share some good news from them in the coming months. So I share a lot about my personal life with my pen pals, so I share a lot about my personal life with you. Today, I want to chat about politically correct terminology, why it's good, and why it might not be so good. In my everyday life, I try to speak respectfully. If there's a term that you don't like, I'm open-minded, I'm listening, I talk a lot. So I would rather not offend you by using the wrong term. If I can aff- if I can convey the same thoughts in different words, well, I would rather do that. I don't want to get hung up on terminology. I also try not to get offended by someone who is using what I think is the wrong verbiage. For example, I have two adopted children. Before my first adoption, I read a book that described how strangers and even friends would react to adoption, and they might say things like, how much did you pay for your baby? And do you have any children of your own? I remember thinking that I wouldn't be offended. I know what they mean. They just mean, do you have any biological children? And how much does an adoption cost? But something happened. I'll admit it. After the adoption, I was hurt by those kinds of words. (laughs) I suddenly was offended. If somebody's going to ask, do you have any children of your own? These are my own children. I'm not babysitting. I'm not returning this child at the end of the day. A friend of mine was getting married in her mid-30s, and she wanted children. And she told me she was concerned about getting pregnant. And I told her, what, you know, don't worry, because you can always adopt with your husband. And she responded that they wanted children of their own. Yes, adopted children would be your own. But that being said, would I be offended if she said that they wanted biological children? No, I have biological children. I understand. And it's also a wonderful way to build your family. So... Why do I get hung up on using the wrong words? Sometimes people ask, has your daughter ever asked about her real mom? I'm her real mom. I sleep next to the hospital bed when she's in the hospital. I drive her to all of her activities and her friends' houses. I read to her. I pay for her braces. I hug her. I listen to her. I'm her real mom. Sure. Okay, calm down. If a stranger approaches you in the grocery store, which for the record happened more when the kids were young, they're 11 and 14 now, I wonder if that was because it was more obvious that the adoption was recent or or maybe people don't want to ask questions when they think the children are listening or maybe it's just a coincidence. Okay. Okay. So if a stranger approaches you in the grocery store and asks what you paid for your child, is it important to correct them? I'm not a human trafficker. I used a reputable adoption agency. I paid orphanage fees and a lot of fees to the U.S. government for a home study and all the necessary paperwork. And I paid to have documents 
notarized and authenticated and certified. And I didn't pay for my child any more than someone who pays a hospital bill after the birth of their child has bought their child. Here's this stranger, this grocery shopper who has an inkling in their heart for adoption. But there's this financial hurdle that's scary. And they got up the nerve to talk to somebody about it. Or maybe they didn't even need to work up the nerve. Maybe I just looked friendly and approachable. And they asked me about that financial hurdle. I could have encouraged them. I could have said that international adoption can be expensive, but there are organizations ready to help you, like BothHands.org. That's the charity that helped us raise $18,000. We did pay about $7,000 more to cover the adoption expenses, but that also included an international trip because while you can pay for a plane ticket and a chaperone, we traveled for the adoption of our children, and we had a beautiful trip. Domestic adoption can also be way less expensive. In Florida, you can adopt through the foster care system and you can you might be able to get your child's college education paid for. There are many pros and cons to international and domestic adoption, but both are wonderful ways to build a family. Or I could scold this stranger on their choice of words and they could walk out of the grocery store saying, oh, I don't want to pursue adoption. That lady is super bitter about her choice to adopt. I'm not going to ask any more questions. What if they ask if my children are brother and sister? They are now. Obviously, the person is asking if I adopted a sibling pair, which, by the way, I didn't. I adopted my daughter and two years later adopted my son, so they aren't biologically related. But if someone is curious about bringing multiple children into their home at the same time, they should seek out real-life advice. They They shouldn't have to worry about me scolding them for their choice of words. So why am I talking about this today? Well, because I naturally use PC terms when I talk about and when I talk to my friends in prison. I like the word friend. If Daniel and I are sharing recipes, which we do, I don't want to say that a prisoner gave me this recipe. I want to say my friend gave me this recipe. In this case, the most important feature about him is not a mistake that he made years ago or that he's currently incarcerated for that mistake. The most important thing is that he's my friend and his chicken casserole is delicious. I made it. I know. I don't even like the term prison. You'll find that I use the word facility. My friend Kelly moved from one facility to another facility. My friend RJ helped me to ask me to help him find a pen pal. You know, maybe somebody who was incarcerated. But facilities have rules against that. I can't break the rules. Different facilities have different rules. When I talk about Val, I want to convey what a great person she is. Being in prison can be demoralizing and depersonalizing. And I want to connect with her humanity, her spirituality. I want to respect her for all the things that she's done in her life and not just focus on her crime. There are enough people focused on her crime. So that being said, it's not like I was friends with Val before she went to prison. And I didn't find her on a website for lonely people or people who wanted a prayer partner. I found her on writeaprisoner.com. I was specifically looking for a pen pal in prison. So why am I dancing around the word? Yes, I want to find friends and connect with people on a special level. But as long as I have 29 friends in prison and a podcast 
about having friends in prison. I should use that platform to do some good. I should talk about what is working and what is not. And how can people in prison best use their time to better themselves for release, but also just for themselves and for the world while they are where they are, which is prison. What's working in U.S. prisons? What is working in prisons abroad? What could we have done better during the coronavirus pandemic, for example, in prisons? What can we learn from the lockdowns and the precautions that were implemented in prisons? Can we compare prisons in different states? And on a, rela- on a related topic, can we talk about drug laws? I have friends in prison for various offenses from murder to parole violation. I have several friends who are in for drug charges, and they are nonviolent and have no victim but themselves. I know that drug addiction can lead to theft and violence and recklessness that can lead to injury, but here's where it's important to personalize and humanize each individual. Should people be in prison or should they be in rehab? And what kind of rehabilitation really works? What kind of rehabilitation can they get while they're in prison? Several of my friends have enrolled in substance abuse programs, and they do it to earn good time and hopefully get time off their sentence. They do it to check a box on the paperwork that they submit to the parole board. My question is, do they actually benefit from the program? Has anyone followed up on the success of these programs? And parole? Like, it just seems so arbitrary. It seems like people get approved based on how the parole board is feeling that day. Could a letter of support be worded more eloquently and tip the scales of justice? What if you have a lawyer on your side? Is just having a lawyer standing next to you make you look more competent and more ready for release? In most states, the the members of the parole board are appointed by the governor, how closely are the parole board members and the governor studying the outcomes of the of early release, late release, good time, and recidivism? Is there a secret formula? Should there be? Should it be secret? Are we avoiding these conversations in an effort to be more politically correct? Okay, I admit it. I don't know the answer to any of these questions. So should I shut up and just research instead of just throwing things out there? Maybe your time would be better spent listening to someone with answers rather than somebody spouting questions. I don't mean it. I don't mean it. Don't don't turn off the podcast. Sometime, real soon, I could rattle on something very useful. So, all right. In the meantime, I want to share with you a quick letter from my friend Liz. She says, hey, beautiful. This letter isn't going to be very long, but I wanted to write anyway. How are you? How is your dad? I'm so sorry to hear about your mom. I lost my mother in 2012, so I know that it's really hard. Things are fine here. All I do is sleep and work, but at least my days are passing by quickly. I finished another blanket, and I'll probably start the next one here in a couple of days. Anyway, sorry it's so short, but I've got a video with my kids in a few minutes, and I'm keeping you and your family in my prayers. Heart, Liz. So a couple of things I want to talk about in that particular letter is the fact that she has a job in prison. And I have heard some, I don't know if it's advocates or if it's social justice warriors, talking about how people in prison are legal slaves because they get paid so little to have their job. And 
the people who are writing to me about their jobs are really excited that they're able to start working again. I'm sure that they would be really excited to be paid more for their jobs, but I think that in the case when um, your expenses, quote unquote expenses, you know, your your room and board or half a room or whatever, you know, bunk that you get is taken care of, then the amount of money that you get from your job might be less and they're not complaining about it. You know, they seem they're they're not telling me I got a job just so I could check the box, just so that I could have a better result at a parole hearing. You know, they a lot of people were upset that they couldn't work during coronavirus lockdowns. So I'm excited that Liz is back to work. Um, I have friends who work in the kitchen, um, friends who work with the um, dog program where they are helping dogs to be more adoptable and helping dogs be trained to be service dogs. So there are, and there are also um, people have worked in different classes as teacher aid and things like that. So there are lots of different opportunities, lots of different kinds of work in prison. And I don't know exactly what each of them is earning, but they always seem excited to get back to work, even when it's long hours. They're just like, oh my goodness, I accomplished so much today. You know, I was working starting at 5 a.m. And, you know, I worked, even when they work more than eight hours, it always seems like a positive experience. Um, I've also been hearing on the news about how person in-person visits were canceled and video visits were given as an option and some people were talking and and complaining about how expensive the video calls were. Um, I haven't heard that in my letters. Just people like Liz saying that they've got a video call with their kids and I think, you know, it could just be that they're excited to get any visit with their friends. So, um, also she mentioned making a blanket and I am surprised by the number of people I know who can crochet and knit and get those kinds of supplies. Um, You would think that that would only be in a minimum security facility, but I have a friend who is on death row in California, and maybe it's because she can't interact with anyone else. You know, if she's going to leave her cell where her knitting needles are, um, she's got to leave those things behind. So that might be why she's allowed to purchase and use those types of things. But, um, yeah, I think that I think that that's very interesting. And I'm curious, as it varies from prison to prison, uh, what types of things you can find, what different types of rules and how that affects the people who are living there. So that being said, I want to thank you so much. We're just about out of time. I want to thank you so much for listening. Please tell someone about the podcast today. Make sure that you're subscribed. And as always, Find your own friends in prison.